Church, aren't you glad that you did not stop singing that Sunday right before everything closed down? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you continue singing and that we uh, have continued in our faith even though the last few years have had a lot of different obstacles, a lot of different trials, but we keep singing a little louder. And so, man, that's great. Thanks so much for, for being here and for uh, sharing with us this morning. We're so glad to have you here in our midst and hope that uh, you are blessed by your time, by your time here. Uh, this past Wednesday, at the conclusion of our meal and a message, I asked those who were in attendance, I said, look, um, I'm going to give you a set of things that you need to choose to do without. And then I said, I just want to see kind of how you would, would choose. So if you could only have one thing, and I asked, I said, would, would, you, would you choose to only have soap, or would you choose to only have toothpaste? Now, I know not all of you were here Wednesday night, so I'm just going to ask, ask all of you, all right, which would you rather have, soap or toothpaste? Now, I want you to turn, tell the person that's next to you your answer, and see if they move away from you. Some of you, I, I know some of you are saying, I think the person next to me has already made that choice. <laughs> You can only keep one. Which do you keep? All right. Uh, let, let me ask you a couple of more. Okay, let me ask you a couple of more. You can only, um, you can only have one. You got to give up something. Do you give up donuts or do you give up chicken? What do you think? Oh, I, I think we're a little divided here. Donuts or chicken? Some of you are getting up to run to the back right now in the lobby to see if there are any more donuts left. That's subliminal. Uh, do you give up sleep for a day or talking for a week? Now, ladies, this is not what you wish your husband would do. That's not what this question is. But do you give up sleep for a day or talking for a week? And, and speaking of sleep, now I asked this one Wednesday night also, and, but I just want to get a larger, kind of a, a, a larger feel here. I want to get a larger sample size. Because I was definitely in the minority on Wednesday. You can give up one. Which one? Your TV or your bed? Which one do you give up? Uh, I, I hear bed. But see, all these others were kind of like, you could, say, you could tell that there was some, you know, both sides going on. But just like on Wednesday night, the majority of you, I, I could hear say TV, and I just need to remind you again, you can always sleep on the couch in front of the TV, right? You, you don't have to have that bed, right? You don't have to have it. You can sleep on the couch in front of the TV if you just had to, um, if you just had to give it up. Uh, many Christians around the world right now have just begun the process of participating in Lent. It's a 40-day season of preparation that leads up to the celebration of Easter, and depending on your Christian tradition and the one that you were raised in, Lent might be something that, that either you are very familiar with or something that you have absolutely zero clue about. It's actually a tradition that dates back to the 4th century when, when Christians used the days leading up to Easter as a time to draw near to God. It was a time to focus on baptisms and, and restoration. And more recently, participants in Lent have have been encouraged to cast aside things that inhibit discipleship and then to, to take on and embrace those things that enhance their journey with Jesus. 
And so maybe over the next few weeks, you're going to have family members or, or co-workers, or there's going to be some, some friends that you have at school. They're going to be talking about some things that they have chosen to, to do without, to do away with, as a way of renewing their focus on God. And perhaps they have replaced the time that they would normally spend doing some of those activities. They've replaced that time with, with other things that they feel are going to, to bring them closer to God. Maybe they're spending more time in the Word. Maybe they're going to be more prayerful. Maybe theirs is going to be a 40 days of service. And, you know, in the next few weeks, we're going to kind of talk about this idea and dig a little deeper with it. But before today, I just want to ask each of you to answer a simple question. Answer this question. I would be closer to God if I gave up what? You don't have to turn to your neighbor and share this one. This is one that's just between you and, and God. I would be closer to God if I gave up what? Now, I know that those of you who are at Meal and a Message have already had some time to think about this, but I want us to all just think about just one thing. One thing that if you gave it up, that you have no doubt that your relationship to God would be stronger, that you'd be closer to the Lord. What's the one thing? Is it something as simple as a show that you are currently binge-watching? Or a podcast that you listen to on a regular basis? How about your reliance on social media? Maybe it's a friend group that, that you're a part of. Maybe it's just some trivial pursuit that you just keep going after. Or could it be something as large as, as a relationship or, or a job? Something is taking up space between you and your Creator. What is it? What is it? James, the brother of Jesus, told Christians that if they would draw near to God, they would draw and just get closer to God, then God would draw near to them. Think of it as, as leaning into this spiritual component of your life. And it goes very well with what we've been talking about all year. See, this year we've been focusing on our need to live intentionally for God. And not going through the motions and just being passive about our faith. Instead, intentionally using what God has intentionally given to us for his glory. But this on-purpose living isn't about getting better at Christianity. It's not about just being a better Christian. It's about drawing nearer to the divine. So what is the one thing that if you intentionally gave up, there is no doubt in your mind that you would be closer to God, closer to God's heart, and closer to God's thought. You'd be closer to God in your actions, and you'd be closer to God in your purpose. Now, I understand that, that some of you might think it a little bit strange that I'm asking you to give up anything for God. Because after all, the overwhelming message in our culture now declares that it's unloving to ask someone to, to adjust their habits or their actions or to, or to ask them to give up anything, or to change in any way. That's just not the loving thing to do. See, our culture takes the truth that is Jesus' love, and, and our culture explains this truth to mean that he always approves of any and everything that we do. Social media influencers and TikTok prophets and YouTube bloggers want to gaslight us into thinking that we're all beautiful and perfect exactly the way that we are, and that loving ourselves is virtuous. And that following our heart is the best thing that we can do because nothing is more important than being happy. And let's just admit it, that sounds so good. 
I mean, doesn't that sound good, Stephen? That sounds great. Just to be able to just do whatever you want to do and, and be whoever you want to be and, and just look inside yourself and, and follow the path that you want to take. Never mind, it goes exactly against what Brad was just talking about, about how that don't trust in our own understanding, but that we should allow God to direct our paths. Don't, never mind that it goes against that proverb. Just do what you want to do. And don't say anything about someone else that's doing what they want to do because it's just unloving. And at times, look, I wish it was the case. I wish it was the case that that, that is the way that we all could live. And that's the way we all should live. But understand, Jesus presented a different view of love and a different view of life. And Jesus had no problem with asking those that he loved to sacrifice personal passions for kingdom community. He did it often. A lot of different stories that are there within your New Testament, within the Gospels. He, he, it didn't bother him. He didn't seem that there was some kind of contradiction to say, I love you, now go and stop sinning. He, he didn't seem that those two things were, were fighting against each other. Open up your Bibles to the second book in your New Testament. It's the Gospel of Mark, and I want you to find chapter 10. So take out your Bible. And uh, either your hard copy or your digital one. And, and go ahead and look in there. Find Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start reading in verse 17. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. He's saying, I, I went to vacation Bible school. I, I, was, I was at Sunday school all the time. I, I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. I was learning all this. Papa was telling it to me. Mama was sharing the verses. I've been following all of this. And so you have this guy here who has a lot going for him. He has wealth and prestige and power. He's a respectable member of the community. Not only that, but apparently he has had the moral fortitude to go along with it. He is eager to be close to God. And he sincerely wants to experience God's acceptance. And Jesus, we are told, loved this guy. He loved him. He, he loved him. And it's not a love like, hey, this guy's pretty cool. I love him. Or man, he's great. I love that guy. Don't you love that guy? Isn't he great? It's not that. It is a, a genuine love that he has. It's a divine love, a divine-like affection that he has for this man. And that's what makes the next part of the story strange. Jesus tells him, there's still one thing that you haven't done. There's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because Mark tells us he had great many possessions. So here's a guy that desired sincerely to please God. Here's a guy that he's someone whom Jesus loves and yet, after coming to Jesus, he actually goes away sad. 
Now, I know that's not supposed to happen. Love doesn't hurt feelings. And love doesn't make people feel sad. And love doesn't turn people away. So what happened? Well, apparently Jesus saw no contradiction in loving and asking for the one thing. He saw no contradiction in loving and asking for the one thing. The one thing that was taking up space between the man and God. He had no problem lovingly asking the man to sacrifice personal passions for kingdom community. And you you begin to read through this and you think through it and you begin to come to an understanding. You can love someone and still ask or expect change in their life. Jesus did. Jesus told the man that if he wanted to enjoy God's kingdom reign, he needed to get rid of this one thing. He had to declutter his life. And it made the man sad because he just had a lot of stuff. And apparently, this man wasn't as beautiful or as perfect as perhaps he thought that he was. There was something between him and God. And all the rule following and the tradition keeping could not cover it up. And Jesus told him that, look, if that it has to go. It, whatever it is, it has to go in order for him to enjoy closeness with God. Come to me, he says, but don't come with your hands full. You've got to let it go. You've got to sell it all. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to declutter. Now, it's about this time in a lesson like this that our heart starts to beat a little bit faster, just as this man's did. Because part of the choice is just so simple. It's just so appealing. Drop whatever it is and come to Jesus. You just drop it. You just, you just let it go. But whatever it is that, that God has said, you need to put this out of your life. Whatever it is that's been revealed to you, you've read it in Scripture, you know it's there. It's like, I know I'm in the midst of this. Whatever it is, you just drop it and, and you come to Jesus. But the actual dropping is hard because some part of you genuinely feels like you need it. Whatever it is. You need that relationship. You need that wealth. You need that drink. You need that hit. You need that credit card. You need that membership. You need that affirmation. You need what? What is it? What is it that you believe you cannot do without? What is it that has the potential to send you away sad after a conversation with Jesus? What is it that you believe a God of love should not or cannot ask for? I mean, if God is really a God of love, and if God loves, then he, he wouldn't ask for me to, to what? Give up your family? Arrange your sexuality? Get your finances in order? Walk away from the addiction. Reorder your calendar. What is it that our culture has convinced you is off limits for God? That God can talk about everything else. He can touch everything else, but he cannot speak into this particular part of of my life. What is it that has caused you to keep God's kingdom at an arm's length? You watch from the periphery. You say, I'm a really good person. Why should I have to give it up to be close to God. 
What is the one thing that if asked for by God would send you away sad? Jesus looked at the man and he said, it's going to be hard. He said, it's going to be hard in this particular instance. He said, it's going to be hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we need to understand it's going to be hard for a lot of people to enjoy the kingdom of God. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to enjoy the kingdom of God, not because they are unloved, not because God does not love them, not because they do not receive love from others who are part of God's kingdom, but because they are unwilling to let go of the one thing that is their identity and then fully embrace God. It'll be hard. Because Jesus... He sees no contradiction in loving and asking for the, the one thing. The decluttering of our souls frees us to be filled by God. And Jesus wanted people to experience the utter, the utter joy of an unencumbered relationship with, with him. He wanted people to experience the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. So he asked for us to declutter our lives. To declutter ourselves from things like self-reliance and self-importance and self-direction. He wants to free us from self-consciousness and self-harm. Not because he's unloving, but because he is love. And he knows that all of this self-focus will only lead to self-loathing. So get rid of it, he says. And give it away. And enjoy life with God. Now this story, this story here um, in the Gospels, it really messes with, with what we are told today about love. Because guys, over and over what we have been told and what we are consistently hearing is that love does not ask people to make sacrifices. Love doesn't ask people to make sacrifices and, and love approves of everything. That love just loves. That's what we're told, right? But we're also told that this is how Jesus loves. We're told that Jesus loves without demands or without expectations. But this man from Mark chapter 10, he's right here in the back and he's raising his hand going, I beg to differ. Because I had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus and he loved me. But he still said there was one thing. There was still one thing. I think, I think the woman in John chapter 8 whom Jesus told to leave her life of sin would have to say, yeah, this message that we're hearing today about how that that love doesn't demand anything, that Jesus doesn't have any expectations for his followers. It's just not true. Do you know that Jesus even called out his own disciples for their prideful ambition? It's also here in Mark chapter 10. See, Jesus never allowed his love for someone to cause him to keep the truth from someone. Understand that. He never allowed his love for someone to prevent him from sharing the truth with someone. The godly demand of love requires us to warn one another about what is harmful and unrighteous, actions and attitudes that God has sworn to judge and to condemn. Love, love compels us. And it's why the writers in your New Testament would later command believers in Jesus to rid themselves of multiple behaviors that were taking up space between them and God. The Apostle Paul told Christians to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior, to get rid of malicious behavior and, and dirty language. 
He said, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. James, the brother of Jesus and leader in the early church, begged followers of his brother, get rid of all the filth and evil that's in your life and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, James writes, you're just fooling yourselves. The Apostle Peter, who himself had experienced firsthand the love of Jesus, urged Christians, get rid of all the evil behavior. Be done with all the deceit and all the hypocrisy and the jealousy and all the unkind speech. And again, listen to the Apostle Paul's pleading. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. And he says, let me tell you again. I've told you before. He says, I'm going to tell you one more time that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is going to be hard for some people to be a part of God's kingdom, not because they are unloved, but because individuals are unwilling to give up the one or the many things that create distance between them and God. The writers were not being unloving by asking other believers in Jesus to let go of the one thing. It's the exact opposite. Again, the Apostle Paul, he described his motivation for what he wrote. He said, Christ's love compels us. He says, the love of Christ, it controls us. It urges us on. Because we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died, look at this, to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer, read it, live for themselves. They will live for Christ. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament understood that love leads us away from self and that same love leads us to Christ. And they saw no contradiction in loving and asking for the one thing. And friends, we shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. Now, we've talked for the last few weeks how that there should be a distinction between how we live and love compared to a society around us that does not claim any connection with Christ. The kingdom of God is a republic of love. Not the sentimental and sensual thing that society calls love, but the 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. A love that is patient and a love that's kind, a love that is humble, a, a love that is forgiving and, and truthful. It's a love that is powerfully protective, fiercely faithful, hugely hopeful, and vivaciously victorious. And so these last weeks, I've attempted to challenge us to experience and express the limitless love of Jesus, understanding that love is the ultimate expression of faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our worship. It's not our orthodox teaching. It's not our spiritual giftedness. It's not some practice of a ritual or tradition that declares that we are followers of Jesus. It is the demonstration of divine love that shows that we are Jesus' people. 
And so we've been talking about how that every one of us is ragged, but that every one of us is loved by God. And how that we must accept others just like God has accepted us. And remember, we've been saying, look, we need to ask a couple of questions. We need to ask, who is it that I can accept? Who is it that I can welcome on my journey? And then ask, how can I love them like Jesus? How can I show them divine love? And friends, this is so important because, well, let's just be honest, the church has not always been the most loving and accepting of places. Especially for people who look or talk different. Especially for people who struggle with mental illness. Especially for people who have questions about their sexuality. So there's work that needs to be done on our end. Because the church should never be outloved by any person or group. Never. And we've said it. Individuals should not be able to go to a, to a gym or, or to a bar or be a, a part of some, or, or some other group and, and find more love and acceptance than what they find among the people of God. The church should never be outloved. But part of loving, part of loving is asking one another about the one thing. It's asking one another about the one thing. You see, no matter what the latest cultural influencer says, it is not unloving to ask or expect for Christ followers to exhibit Christ's character. And it's not unloving to ask or expect that as Jesus' people, that we would line up our priorities and our attitudes around his purposes. And that we would sacrifice personal passions for the community of God. It's not unloving. And it's not unloving to ask or expect that, that worshipers of God would submit to him their, their sexuality and their language and their material pursuits. Everything that, that is what makes them up. Everything that makes us up. Everything that we say, well, this is who we are and this is my identity. We can love and still ask for the one thing. There's no contradiction. So what is it? What is your one thing? What is it that is currently taking up space between you and God? That if you were to give it up, that if you were to let it go, you would experience true life in the kingdom of God. You know the answer. You know what it is. Maybe it's something specific that you have read before in Scripture. Maybe it's something that, that you've been dealing with for a long time and you just try to put it in the back of your mind and, and say it's going to go away. And, and yet God's Spirit just keeps revealing it to you. And there's conflict within yourself because of it. Christians around the world are currently engaging in a season of letting go. And I just want to encourage us all to do the same today. To let go of the one thing, whatever it may be, and then be sustained and fulfilled by the awesome love of God. I would love you just to be able to, to let that go here this morning. To say, this, this is the day. This is the day that I'm truly going to receive the love of God. Stop living for myself. And join this journey with Jesus. 
You see, ultimately the call of Jesus is a call of restoration. It's a call to be restored to God's original intent. It is not a call to discover your best self. For your best self is sinful, even at its best. It is a call to rediscover God. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to sing a song together called Waymaker. Beautiful song about what God can do in, in our life. And, and friends, I would just, I, I would love it if, if for this morning, if, I, I would just love it if, if you would just, if you would just come. If you would just come and let go of the one thing. I, I would love it if you would just come here to the front of the room. You don't have to say anything. If you're uncomfortable to come here by yourself, grab somebody that's beside you and say, hey, will you walk with me? I just, we just need to go. To just come and be welcomed by the love of God. You can come and stand. You can come and sit. You can come and, and kneel. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, like, like the two that we celebrated earlier, uh, I'd love for you to come and say that. I want you to, to speak that out and say, hey, here's what, here's what I want to do. What if we just had a time of letting go? Where your presence here in the front of this room would declare that you are getting rid of whatever it is. Letting go the one or the many things that have created space between, between you and God. Um, I'm going to ask if Craig upstairs, Craig, I just want you to lower down the house lights if you would. And so as we sing this song, I would like us just to initially just to sit where we are. You don't have to stand up. I just want us to sit while we sing through this first verse. And, and then when we, come to the, um, when we come to the chorus and we start singing about how that our God is a way maker, then I want us all to stand as, as one. And, and I would love for you to feel comfortable enough just to come forward and, and just to be here in front of this church family acknowledging that I'm letting go of the one thing. Or, or maybe you do just need to stay there in your pew. Maybe, maybe you just need to raise your hands to God and say, God, I'm coming to you empty-handed. I'm letting it go. Right? Maybe you do need just to walk back. We have a prayer room that's back there, and you need to have some private time with one of our shepherds. We'd love to have that time with you. No shame. We all need to let go of something. Why not this be the day? I promise. God loves you. And we love you as well. Keep turning down the lights if you would. And let us start to sing.